does sound a bit like a pub, the bones in the basket, but it's, um, it's referring to Joseph's bones and uh, Moses' basket. And uh, so if you have a Bible, you could turn to Hebrews 11. We're going to read uh, a few verses from there. I don't, I don't know whether you um, think of yourself as a man or a woman of faith. I, uh, I don't know, looking around, some people are sort of, hmm, definitely not. Some people are, hmm, I'm pondering that. And a few people have, yes, of course. Uh, I know we all sort of self-describe differently, don't we? The way we look at ourselves. And it might, it might, of course, be different on Monday to Thursday, depending on how your circumstances go and, and what, what, um, what you're facing. But I, I think most of us have a tendency to think that um, when you think of a man or woman of faith, that maybe that's someone older than you. Or maybe you think it's someone younger than you, or, or someone more famous than you, or, or something like that. But I think we ought to, this uh, chapter encourage us, encourages us to describe ourselves as men and women of faith, and join the people in this procession of faith. And that's how, what Hebrews 11 and going into the beginning of chapter 12 is all about. That there are these people who, who are no longer with us, and yet they're now in the stands cheering us on, inviting us to join them, to pick up the baton for our lifetime and follow them in our walk of faith, doing perhaps very different things because only one built a basket, only one went seven times around a uh, city uh, and so on and so forth. But to join them, to pick up the baton because we're part of their story and they're part of our story really and the, and the story of faith continues uh, through the generations until Jesus comes back again. So uh, that's, that's what we're, we're looking at this morning, uh, two more, uh, or three more actually, people of faith. So let's read Hebrews 11 and from verse 22. Uh, By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. That's the bones. By faith, Moses's par- Moses's Moses. Anyway, his parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and were not afraid of the king king's edict. We'll we'll pause there. So Joseph's bones, Hebrews 11, verse 22. Joseph had been a man of faith from a young age. So if you're pretty young, you can trust God. You can be a person of faith. And that's what faith is really. It's trusting God for things when you can't see them. It's quite easy to trust God when you can see it all happening, I find. That's that's the easy bit. (laughs) It's trusting God when you can't see it happening, when things aren't looking so Good And Joseph was a man who trusted God. For example, he trusted God when his brothers rejected and abused him. I don't know if there's any of us here that have had that within our family context, that, that you felt rejected from family. And, and he was rejected and abused. In fact, he was beaten up. He was put into a great big hole in the ground. And uh, then his brothers hauled him up. And just when he thought it might, might be getting better he was actually sold into slavery in a foreign country Uh, so I mean that's a mighty big set of chips to have on your shoulder Uh, and yet he trusted 
God. And, and things began to look a bit better. If you know the story, it's in the book of Genesis. Things began to look a bit better. And he got a job as a managing a household, a, a posh person. And, uh, and then he was framed for sexual abuse, something he was completely innocent of. But he was framed and put in prison. And he, he was still a young guy, but he had to trust God again when imprisoned. And, and eventually he rose to be the equivalent of prime minister of Egypt. So he'd been a, a, a man of faith from a young age and in adverse circumstances. So this morning, if you're in adverse circumstances, things are against you, or you think, well, I, I'm, I'm not yet sufficiently old to be a person of faith. No, 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 no. You can be a person of faith from a very young age, and you can be a man or a woman of faith, whatever your circumstances. In fact, Sometimes you need more faith when you're in bad circumstances. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you're like this, but sometimes you, you don't know what's your, the crescendo of your faith. Your biggest faith moments, you, you don't know when it is. So Joseph might have been when he trusted God and he was in a pit. You know, God, God might, only God knows, doesn't he? Only God looks at all of our life and knows what's what, really. So I, I tend to think, there's a tendency to think, our greatest faith moment is when we prayed for someone and they got healed. But it might not be. It might be when our eyes were filled with tears and we didn't know what was happening yet next, but we trusted him anyway. We, we don't know, do we? What, what's, our, what's the biggest peak of our faith life? We, we just don't know. Only God knows. But he was a man of faith. And he had faith to be a stranger. With that background, you might have thought, if it had been me, I would have, think, I would have thought when I, when I started to get somewhere at last in Egypt, I, I would have sort of settled for that. I would have thought, right, I'm accepted here, I'm doing well, I'll be Mr. Egyptian because I fit in here. Do you know, do you know what I mean? So, I, at last, someone's accepted me, I'll just, I'll just be a good Egyptian. I'll, I'll get the funny eyes, I, I, and no doubt he had the special dress so he could see a pyramid coming and uh, things were looking good for him but but actually he he knew he didn't belong in Egypt and I think there's something great about that there's something great about knowing though we live on this earth we don't quite fit in the the Bible says we're we're citizens of heaven so if you feel you don't quite fit in that's actually not a bad thing altogether you need to have a, a body of people, a church where you know you're loved and accepted, but actually in the world we never quite fit in. You find that? You can do, you can do really well in your career, but there'll be moments where you think, I can't do that because I, I belong to a different kingdom. You know? There'll be moments at a party where, where jokes are told or where um, things are taken and you think, but I don't quite fit in because I, I can't go along with that anymore. I used to fit in, but now, now I don't. Because Why? Because... Well, because I'm a stranger. In fact, the Bible says we're strangers and aliens. Boo, 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 boo. No, nothing. nothing. That doesn't mean you have to be weird. That's a sort of optional extra that some Christians take up. You, can, <laughs> you don't have to be weird. But, but the truth is, we're, 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 when it says strangers and aliens, it means we're foreigners. We're of a different tribe. We're of God's tribe. We don't quite fit in. we're aliens because actually we won't be truly and utterly at home until we're with Jesus in heaven that's home wherever wherever he is that's our home and Joseph had the courage to know even though he'd risen to prominence and could have settled and enjoyed himself that actually 
he didn't quite belong. And that's why he gave these strange instructions about his bones. So having, having had faith as a young man, he had faith even in his prosperity to not quite fit in, to not go with the world, but to say, no, I'm, I'm never actually going to fit in, even though things are now going well for me. And, and sometimes handling success, by the way, is more difficult than handling adversity. Sometimes you, you, you think, in adversity, you think, I need God. When things are going well, you can actually get a bit flabby spiritually and think, ah, it's okay, I'm all right. But Joseph said, no, I'm not going to fit in. I'm a stranger here. And then he made, in his old age, he still had faith. So if I could speak to those looking at no one in particular, those who are a little older, don't think faith is what young people with energy and vim and vigor, whatever that is, I don't know what vim is, sort of thing you clean the sink with, I think. But those with vim and vigor, let the young ones do it. They're the ones that have got faith. They're the ones that have got energy. No, Joseph had faith even into his old age. He's still believing God for the promises. And they weren't even his promises. They were his father's promises and his grandfather's promises. And he's saying, no, I'm believing God. God said it. (laughs) My granddaughter thinks it's a good point. And so he gave these instructions about about his bones. Let me let me read it to you. I think it's at the end of Genesis. Genesis. Genesis 50 verse 24. Joseph said to his brothers, "I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath, because he wouldn't be there to make sure it happened. He made, he made them make a solemn oath, a promise, and said, God will surely come to your aid, then you must carry my bones up from this place. Isn't that great? In other words, he was so convinced that A, he didn't belong because he was one of God's people, and B, God would keep his promise even though it hadn't happened during the whole of his life, nor his father's life, nor his grandfather's life, nor his great-grandfather's life. It was so surely going to happen because he said it that he made commands about his bones. Isn't that interesting? You know, if he hadn't done that, the only thing we'd know about Joseph is one of those um, nice casket things in the British Museum. That's that's all we'd have of him. It wouldn't have been in the Bible. He made that decision. No, I I don't fit in here. My bones need to be in here because God's going to give us a country. God's got a purpose for us. So he had faith in old age about things that he wouldn't participate in. I I want to be like that. I mean, I'm knocking on a bit now. But when I'm really old, when I'm elderly old, I, I, I hope I'm still a person of faith. Even if it's things I have faith for that I won't see, that are beyond my, the end of my story in another chapter that, that some of you guys will be carrying on with. I want, to, I want to be a person who's got faith to the end. And I think, you know, a lot of people lose their spiritual desire when they get a bit older. They get a little bit, now all I do is play golf. Or then I get a little bit, I can't even play golf. And I don't even play golf. But do you know what I mean? There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. Let's be people who have faith. I can remember my parents when they got cropped up and had various ailments. That They started, my mum who'd never read a book, started reading Christian books, wrote to loads and loads of people and started praying more than she'd ever prayed. 
That's a great example. Let's be men and women of faith, even in old age. So he had faith from a young age, faith to be a stranger, faith in old age. Really, he had long-term faith. My observation on Christian faith in, in the UK and the West generally is, it's a faith that God will do something in two to five years. It's, it's a sort of business-like faith, really. It's a five-year plan faith. But, but what if it takes six years or 10 years or 20 years? Jo- Joseph had long-term faith in a God who keeps his promises. You know, we tend to sort of judge God in the short term. But he's, he's not a man to be judged like us. He's not a corporation to be judged on a five-year plan. And Egypt, Egypt, Joseph was making this faith statement that he was living for the long term and we live for the long term in fact we live for eternity if truth be told see this this world is passing away let me read you some verses from the letter of john 1 john chapter 2 verse 15 to 17 do not love the world it's a powerful thing, isn't it? Don't, just don't. <laughs> no expression. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. Why? Well, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. It's all short-term, folks. That's what he's saying. Don't love the world. Why? Because it's all passing away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So there's Joseph, a young man of faith, a middle-aged man of faith, and an old man of faith. Faith for the long term. Now, what about the basket? Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. Because they saw he was no ordinary child, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, although it's just the next verse, you're talking maybe 300 years later. That's extraordinary, isn't it? (laughs) So so Joseph's family, and he, he and his brothers, had now become, each of those families had become tribes, the tribes of Israel. And as they'd got bigger and had babies, and those babies had babies and in the normal way of things, they'd done the only command we ever keep, which is to go forth and multiply. Done quite well on that one. As they'd done that, they'd become a nation, and, and, but they were a nation within the nation of Egypt. And you know what happens? Some politician comes and says, we'd be all right if it wasn't for those Israelites. They're taking our jobs. And it's got a certain modern ring to it. And, and, and then their privileges began to be taken away. And, and then in the end, not only were their privileges came away, that they were restricted in what jobs they could take. And slowly, slowly, they actually became enslaved. And then a pharaoh turned up who said, we've got to do something about this. Let's kill all the babies of this generation. We need population control. And that's what was going on. It was a, a, a pogrom, as, they, as they're called. It was, it was an infanticide. Let's kill all these children. And into that context come, come two people uh, who made a difference. But, but think about the context for a bit. This was trusting God when the promises that you're believing him for seem further away than ever. Does that ring any bells for some of us? 
Trusting God when what you're trusting him for seems to be very unlikely. God God had said to Jacob back in Genesis, Jacob, don't be afraid to go to Egypt. There I'll make you a great nation. But that wasn't going to happen in three years or five years, obviously. That takes quite some time. But So he'd gone to Egypt with that faith. But you could never have expected that that would include poverty. Would you, would you expect that? If God said to you, I'll make you a great nation, you wouldn't expect that that would include poverty. You could have never expected it, it would include oppression or disgrace, certainly not infanticide, but that's where they found themselves. And I have people occasionally come to me and say, why would God allow that? I've never got the answer. Or how come if we're believing him for this, the others happened? I've n- never yet had an answer. Except except that I think it's difficult to always see God and his purposes in a world of sin. You know, there's another side on the pitch, as someone once said. And sin, well, you can't make sense of it. Sin always causes pain and chaos. And that's what, what's what the Israelites are struggling with. If God's with us, then how come this is happening? And he, he, there's this promise we're believing in, and yet this seems to have gone wrong, and that seems to have gone wrong, and the other thing seems to have gone wrong, and yet they're still trusting God. It's, it's very easy when everything goes belly up, to put it theological. It's very easy to, to ah, forget it. If his promises were true, this wouldn't have turned out like that. I'm walking away. I'm going to go in the garden and eat worms or something. Chuck it all over. No, no, they're trusting God, even when the promises seem further away. You can only wait when everything's chaotic and see God's deliverance. I found a great quote by a preacher called Peter Lewis. Faith can rest on the lone word of the God who can be trusted. It's a good quote. Faith can rest on the lone word of the God who can be trusted. What about this? Yeah, but God can be trusted. Why has that gone wrong? I don't know, but God can be trusted. Why did she say that? I don't know, but God can be trusted. How come they put me in a pit and sold me into slavery? I don't know, but God can be trusted. How come all these Christians are being persecuted? I don't know, but God can be trusted. Faith can rest on the lone word of the God who can be trusted. So that's the context. The promises seem further away than other, other ever even. And then I see this, there's little people, and I would feel I'm one, you might feel you're one. Little people with faith can make a big difference. I mean, how many of us have heard of Amrad? Show of hands? Like, no, that's an Amstrad is the computer, but that's exactly the point. You're right, Mark. Good point. Not, not Amstrad, Amrad. Oh, none of us have put our hands up. Anyone heard of Jockabed? Yeah, a few people have heard of Jockabed. Sorry? They're very small-time biblical people, and that's a very good point. That's exactly the point I'm making. They're small-time biblical people whose faith made a gigantic difference because it's Moses' mum and dad. Moses' mum and dad. I mean, even in Hebrews, it doesn't doesn't even mention their names because they're not sort of not important, really. So even in the scripture, they're unknown. I love that. Unknown people can be really heroes of the faith. They don't even get a name. They just get, well, for three months, they did this by faith. That's encouraging to me. I don't know about you. 
Amran and Jochebed are two peasant slaves in Egypt. They're there trying to make bricks with no straw. They're being maltreated, they're, uh, but they're believing God for the promises. And they just believe there's something special about this child. Now, pretty well every parent believes there's something special about their child, don't they? You know, some look like Churchill, some look like frogs, some are stunningly handsome, obviously, Tom. But <laughs> every, every, every parent believes that, but they, there was something of trusting God for the future of this child. So it wasn't just, I love my baby, it was, there's something special about this child. I don't know how, that, how they knew that, I, don't, I just don't know, but if somehow deep in their hearts, they knew there was something about this child. And so they hid him from this infanticide that was going on for three months. Very difficult to hide a baby, because they, sort of, they make a lot of mess and a lot of noise, don't they? It sort of comes with the design package. But for three months, this unknown couple defy the king, the pharaoh of Egypt. Everyone else is, I don't know what was going on. I imagine there was house-to-house searches and people informing on one another. The sort of things that that do happen when there's an oppressive regime in a country. And And they resist the king for three months until it becomes just impossible. And then they they make this basket. A reed basket, woven reeds. You've probably seen them. And, and then, because woven weeds, woven weeds, woven reeds even. <laughs> woven reeds, they'd let water in. And so they put pitch tar all around the outside. So it's, it's waterproofed. It's a bit like a Moses basket, funnily enough. And, <laughs> and they, put the ba- they put the baby in it. And they put the baby in, in the Nile. It floated, floated this baby. And it was done in faith that God would somehow keep this child. Some of us in, in, in life get to a point where, we, where you have to let go of something. It's hard. You, and it actually takes faith sometimes, not just to claim something and grab it and do it, but faith sometimes, God calls us by faith to let go. Say, okay, I, I give that to you. I give you my pain. I give you that circumstance. I, I give you this desire I've got that I can't make it happen myself. I just let go by faith. Maybe some of us are called to that even this morning. It's done by faith. And actually, we, we think it's a bit bizarre because we think of like going down to the River Severn and putting a baby on it. It would be horrible. But it, it was more common in that days because rivers were where people came to wash. They were where people came to do their clothes washing, bathe, get drinking water. I know it's a bit disgusting because it's all from the same place. But leaving that aside, rivers were in many parts of the world. It's still the same. So a river wasn't a, a, just a lonely place. It was a place where people went to the river. Ladies would be chatting, doing the washing, in their clothes on a stone or whatever system they used. People would be going to bathe. And actually the, the, um, the princes of Egypt, we now know, had sort of lodges along the Nile Delta as well. And it just so happened that where they'd put Moses and left his sister to keep an eye out, that, 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 that's where... Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe. It's amazing, you know, when, when you act in faith, coincidences happen, but there aren't coincidences at all. Someone once said, oh, your, your answers to prayer, they're, they're just coincidences. And I think it was William Temple who answered, the strange thing is, when I pray more, more coincidences happen. <laughs> they're not coincidences at all. It's someone trusting God, acting in faith, releasing this baby to the care of God. No doubt, 
streaming with tears. Can you imagine the, the day they leave their beloved child in a basket, left the daughter just, just they couldn't bear to watch, presumably themselves, left their daughter to look at this child. And, and, then, and then Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby, probably bawling his eyes out or being hungry or something. And, and, and sister, sister Miriam plucks up courage and says, oh, I, I, I know I could find a wet nurse and someone to look after him till he's weaned, till he's a bit more grown up. And so by the providence of God who rules over all things, his mum is given the task of being his nurse. And she brings him up in his early years till she hands him over in the palace. See, they're just little people. Not the Irish, no, not the little people. But the, they're just, they're not major players. And yet they are major players. And the same is true for you and I, isn't it? I mean, we're just one person amongst millions on the globe. They had no idea their son would change history. None. But their faith protects Moses. And now they can bring him up to know about the true and living God and his promises for their nation. It's it's fantastic, isn't it? Little people with big faith. But they didn't even know their faith was big. It had a big effect. Never, here's another side point really, never underestimate the effects of godly parenting. Moses wasn't very old when they had to hand him over to, to someone of another religion and another, another race, a totally different royal environment. And yet, yet he continued to believe in the one true God that his mum and dad had told him about. Isn't that great? It's fantastic. Moses is one for God by his mum and dad. I'm, I'm reminded of Samuel's mum who, who gave him to God before he even had met God. Or, or Timothy, who learnt scripture from, from his mum Eunice and his grandma Lois, long before he met with the Apostle Paul. And uh, just a word to parents, you, you may not think of yourself as very important, but you are. You have a key role in, in seeking to lead your little ones to God. You see, you may be a small person, but you may be a key mum and dad. Or, or uncle, or auntie or Sunday school teacher, we don't call it Sunday school, kids club teacher, or, or grandma or grandparent or teacher or friend. You're crucial. And, you know, we don't actually know what God's entrusted to us, do we? Well, I mean, the, you change their nappies, you see them running up and down, they make quite a lot of noise, they don't always do what you tell them. <laughs> there they are. And, and, and there's a group of people out there who maybe will come out this morning thinking, those kids didn't take any notice of what I said. And, and you ask them, what was it about this morning? And they don't want to really talk about it very long, so they just say, Jesus, and then they run off quick. That's what mine used to do. <laughs> yeah, that's because I know that that is the right answer. It's about, it's, it's about Jesus. That's it. It's about Jesus. They almost get it down to a couple of syllables. It's about Jesus. And then they're off chasing a ball around or hitting each other or something. But actually... We don't know what we have, do we? We've, we've got, you know, we've got 60 children in our, in our registered for our children work. That's quite a lot of children for the number of adults. It's about 120 committed adults and, uh, and some of the rest of us wondering where we fit in. And, and about 60 children. That's a great entrustment from God, isn't it? Maybe some of us would be called to, to labor in the children's work. What they're doing is just as important as what we're doing. Maybe more important. 
I've got a point from Pat there. It's good. feel better about that now. Maybe more important, we don't know what our children will do. Maybe long after we're gone, moved on, looking down, cheering from the stands, they'll be doing great things for God. So let's be doing what we do with faith, whether it's parenting, reading a Bible story, praying for those who do, volunteering to help with a kids club. Let's do it with faith because we can't underestimate godly parenting or uncle-aunting teaching, whatever it might be. And thirdly, we see God's sovereign hand. And I, I want to encourage us to have faith that, that he's Lord. It says in Acts 7 verse 27, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. That's God's perspective. I expect Moses' mum and dad, Amram and Jochebed, I expect their perspective was, oh no, now we've got to give him up. I imagine they were heartbroken. I mean, you put, if those who are parents will know what it would be like. He was a little lad, and you send him off, and he's now, he's, he's now not going to Sunday school. He's now not got godly influence. He's now been entrusted to totally pagan people. He's up there. Is he going to be ruined? Is he going to leave God? What's going to happen? It must have been like sending your kids off to university, but much worse. And yet God is sovereign and young Moses is educated in the wisdom of the Egyptian. He's a son of two nobodies. And yet he's taught about commerce. He's taught about administration. He's taught about law, warfare, government, politics, diplomacy. He would have learned not just the Hebrew he was brought up with, but Aramaic, which was the language of commerce. He would have learned Egyptian. Who could have planned that? Question mark. Well, the answer is a sovereign God could plan that. He, he saw to it that the guy who was going to become a nation builder knew how to build a nation. That, that he, he didn't go from being a slave to ruling a nation. First of all, he learned about lawmaking. He learned about how politics... He learned all the things he needed to do what God wanted him to do. There's a lovely verse in the Bible where, where it says God laughs at kings. Psalm 2. Psalm 2, 1 and 2. Why do the nations conspire, which is what the Egyptians were doing, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let's break their chains, let's throw off their shackles. This is the verse. The one enthroned in heaven laughs the lord scoffs at them i love that don't you there's pharaoh thinking we'll, we'll finish off them we'll finish off those israelites since god up the tomb <laughs> yeah right that's not our perspective that wasn't their perspective they, they were suffering but god in his sovereignty was producing and preparing a leader to give them deliverance god laughs at kings and for 40 years egypt's greatest threat while they were trying to get rid of their greatest threat, their greatest threat was being fed and watered and educated right in Pharaoh's palace. It's an irony, isn't it? He was right there, right in the center of the royal palace, being prepared in secret. And God does prepare us in secret. And only God sees the full picture. Jesus used to talk about a father who sees what's done in secret. Joseph didn't know what was going on when he was in a hole in the ground when he was in prison 
Amram and Jochebed didn't know what was going on. Moses certainly didn't. He was a tiddler. You know, God does more behind our back than in front of our faces. He's a sovereign, majestic God. And, and, and our best moments might be this week. Who knows? A quiet word that you give to someone might be incredibly significant. A sacrifice you make, a stand for, for right and justice, a service given when you didn't really feel like it. It seems insignificant, but in the purposes of God, he sees the full picture and we can trust a sovereign God. Well, we need to do a so what because the kids are coming in soon and I've just got two. Can we be determined to trust God? Whatever's going on, just Make a determination. Sometimes you have to sort of trust him in cold blood. Does that make sense? In other words, you don't trust him because everything's going well. You trust him in cold blood because he's God and he's good. And, and, and hope is the confident expectation that God is good and good is coming. That's it. And, and, and you can trust him when you're young, when you're middle-aged, or when you're old. Just trust him. And then decide to keep faith and act in faith. Whether the promises seem a million miles off or whether they seem just around the corner, trust him and act in faith. I don't know what it is in in life you need to have faith for. Faith that you can work out that thing in the office. Faith that you'll find a job. Or if you don't find that job, that he'll provide for you anywhere, anyway. Faith to step out and pray for someone in healing. Faith faith to witness to your neighbor. Faith to invite someone to something. I, I don't know. But you can trust in this sovereign God who sees everything and he's working out everything for good and he's using little people like you and me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and then we'll finish there and the children will be brought back in, I'm sure. Father, we thank you that whatever age or stage we're at, you are trustworthy, You're utterly reliable. You don't say one thing and do another. God, help us to trust you, those of us, when we feel you're on a totally different timetable to the one we want. Help us to trust you when those of us for whom things have just gone all wrong, really. We thank you that you are working your purposes out. Thank you that we never know what's our, our greatest moment of faith. So help us, wherever we're at this morning, to determine to trust in you and to determine to act in faith. And we want to lift before you the children you've entrusted to us. But we have no idea what they'll all end up doing. But we pray that your hand will be on their life. And and Father, those, those years when we can sort of have major input seem to go so fast and we feel so inadequate often as kids club teachers as parents as friends uncles aunties grandparents we feel inadequate but we ask you that the little we're able to say and do will be used by you the sovereign god that our children will run further and faster than us and see more of the kingdom come in their lives than we ever do in ours we pray in the name of jesus amen